Welcome to Millennial Money Minutes, where we tackle tough personal finance topics in five minutes or less. With your host, Grant from MillennialMoney.com and Matt from DistilledDollar.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Fannie Mae. Did you know that you could own a home with as little as 3% down? Both Matt and I put down less than 5% when we bought our first homes, and you could too. Head over to Millennial Money to learn more or talk to a lender about your options. Hey everyone, I'm super stoked today to have Jacob Perez. Uh, he's a mortgage agent uh, in Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. And Jacob and I have been chatting for a while now about house hacking and house hacking strategies. And you know, he's written a couple posts uh, on Millennial Money and so wanted to have him on the podcast to really dig in a little bit deeper and talk about not only what house hacking is, but you, know, you have a really important decision after you've done your first house hack, uh, whether you want to kind of scale and become a, a real estate investor and maybe get investors. Um, and there's some important choices that you can make once you get to that point. Um, and if you kind of know this ahead of time before you get into your first house hack, it can make you much more effective. So, hey, Jacob, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Grant. Uh, cool to be here. I've been reading a lot of posts on your site for a long time. So it's kind of funny to uh, see my own material on there and now be on the podcast. Hey man, so tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself uh, and and kind of what house hacking is. Yeah, no problem. So kind of about myself is uh, I am a mortgage agent. I wasn't always a mortgage agent, so I've kind of been your typical BCom grad. I started off in marketing, moved into finance, project management. I was working in consulting as well. So I've kind of been all over the map in terms of career. But one thing that I've been doing while I've had all these different jobs is I've been investing in real estate. And um, you'll see with a lot of people who invest in real estate is, you know, it starts as something small, then uh, if you do have that passion for it and you have a little bit of success in your belly, it can really, really grow to something big. So that's kind of what led me to being a mortgage agent. I knew I wanted to eventually work inside the real estate space. And one thing that's super important uh, when it comes to growing a portfolio of property is really understanding that financing on the back end. How do you actually finance all of this so you can continue to grow after one, two, three, four properties? Um, and I think the purpose of uh, that first article I wrote for you, house hacking, that's kind of this new age concept now. People have been house hacking for 20, 30, 40 years. We just call it house hacking now, right? So everything has to have that cool title. And that's what millennials have really dubbed this house hacking. But just really in a, a high level overview for the listeners, what house hacking is, is it's buying a house typically a house that has multiple units, two, three, four units, living in one of those units while renting out the other units to offset the, the mortgage payment of the house you purchase. So house hacking, it's kind of this, um, this great strategy to save money. It's a good strategy to build wealth. It also helps, just helps you get by. So it's kind of born out of necessity for some people while other people use it more as a strategy. Yeah, no, I kind of call it the win-win-win of real estate investing because you're basically, you know, you're able to buy a place and an asset that, you know, is is appreciating. You're able to offset, if not completely cover, you know, the cost of your mortgage. And in some cases, uh, you know, it allows you to buy, uh, you know, a bigger property that's going to appreciate in value quicker. Uh, so that's what I really love about house hacking. Can you talk a little bit about how you got started? I know you were living with your parents and, you know, just keeping your expenses really low when you first got into this. Can you talk about what got you in and, and tell us about that first property? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, 
when it comes to purchasing real estate, some people are in a position where they're able to buy real estate, but they're maybe not ready to move out of their parents' house or take on the actual month-to-month cost aspect of it, right? And that's where I kind of fell. When I was in high school, I remember somebody telling me the concept of a rental property. And back then, I didn't really think much about appreciation, tax write-offs, all these great benefits you get from rental properties. I only thought about you buy a house, you have a tenant who pays off their mortgage, and at the end of 25, 30, whatever years you have that entire value of the house paid off. That was all I really thought about at first. So when I did get my first job at university, my, my goal was to save up money for a down payment and purchase a rental property. So that's what I did about um, one year into my first job. I bought my first property. It was a condo in downtown Hamilton. Um, and it went all right, rented out to a tenant about uh, four or five months later. I realized, hey, you know, I still have some money left over. Um, let me see if I can buy another property. So I kind of hustled around the city, talked to a bunch of different mortgage brokers and found one who would do another deal for me with a, a very minimal down payment. At that point, I bought a second property, um, which was a single family home, and I was living in my parents' basement still. So um, at that, that point, you know, I had two rental properties going, two properties that were cash flowing money every month on top of the expenses. In addition, both these, you know, they were appreciating quite a bit. So here I was, you know, 24-year-old kid. I had two properties, but I was still living in mom and dad's basement. Um, and those properties, you know, they started to appreciate things like that, which allowed me to take a lot of moves in my life. I took a master's degree. I moved to another city. I was renting in a, another city. And that's when I started bringing investors into my business and buying more properties. So a lot of people talk about house hacking because they do it because they need a place to live. Well, I didn't really need a place to live. I was renting in downtown Toronto and I was continuing to buy a property in a lower price city, Hamilton, Ontario, which is about 45 minute drive from the city. Yeah. So a question, a quick question, uh, you know, I always get these questions, you know, what's it like to actually be a landlord? That's one of the biggest barriers that readers seem to have. They're like, whoa, oh, I could never imagine being a landlord. And then the second question is, um, you know, it sounds like you were smart with who you shopped around to get a mortgage from. And that's one of those things that a lot of people just don't think to do. You know, banks are willing to do deals with some people and not with others. And to make house hacking really effective and easier, you know, you, you want to shop around ultimately for, you know, a good rate that ultimately allows you to put down a lower down payment, obviously, than 20% and help get you in the market. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what's it like being a landlord? Lord, uh, is it something to be afraid of? And then how do you go about finding the best mortgage? Absolutely. So I'll start with the landlord piece. So this is something people, people bring up to me all the time when I suggest going the road of a rental property. They'll say, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be a landlord. And they've heard all these horror stories regarding tenants. And yeah, there certainly are a lot of horror stories out there um, if you talk to the wrong people. But here's my situation, right? Like, if there's a leak at my house in the toilet, I don't go to the house. I don't know how to do anything handy. I can't even hang up a picture <laughs> frame, but I'm doing forty to $60,000 renos on all the houses I buy now. And the reason you do this is just because you just need information, right? And you need to buy a house at the proper price so you can afford to pay for all those things. So for me, managing 12 different sets of tenants right now, um, things come up all the time. You know, there's a leak here. The this electrical outlet's not working. Um, the other tenant's dog is shitting in the backyard, and you know she's not cleaning it up, right? So there's things that come up all the time, right? And um, really, what I say is, all you need is your cell phone. So for me, it's as simple as this. There's an issue at my house. There's a leak in the sink. 
I text message the plumber. The plumber coordinates a time to show up with my tenant. Plumber then goes there, he'll fix the job, and I'll e-transfer the plumber the money. It's that simple. It takes time to build up those strong relationships with good tradespeople, but that's kind of uh, the point you're going to strive to. And then eventually, at some point, you're going to want to get a property management company to take over that process completely, you know, given uh, that your portfolio gets to a size where you can actually pay for that. So um, to take it to your next point, you asked a little bit about getting the right mortgage products. I think there's a really simple principle you want to work, uh, focus on when it comes to bringing on a mortgage broker, whether it's bringing on a real estate agent, a real estate lawyer, all the different pieces that are going to be involved in this transaction. If you're buying a rental property or you're house hacking it where you can get a multi-unit, you want to work with a real estate agent, a mortgage broker, and a real estate lawyer who all own rental properties. They all have to own rental properties and preferably they have to be more experienced than you are. So if you have two or three properties, you want to work with somebody who's got five plus, okay? Because they're going to know about the obstacles you're going to run into as you grow before you find, before you find those out firsthand. So everyone on your team needs to be an investor. That also goes for your accountant. At the end of the year, you're going to be writing off different things. They're going to know what types of things you can write off. They're also going to prepare you to track those things throughout the year. So when it comes to getting a mortgage, don't focus so much on what's the lowest rate I can get. You should focus more so on what type of mortgage products can allow me to refinance, pull some money out and buy more. Um, and then in terms of uh, every other professional you work with, you just want to make sure that they're experienced in real estate in uh, investing. Sorry. No, that's a really, you brought up a f- few really good points. Um, it sounds like there's a lot of kind of upfront time with your first house hack and, but you're, you're going to get a return on that time really you know, into the future. And that's one of the things sounds like finding not only the right mortgage lender, but the right plumber and really surrounding yourself with people who have experience doing what you're trying to do is really kind of the fastest way uh, to become a real estate investor. And so I think that the net of that is that, you know, you want to surround yourself with good people and you're not alone in the process. You know, it's something where, you know, you're working with other people who are making money and they want to help you because they're making money. Uh, And it sounds like the stronger your team, the more effective your real estate investing is going to be. And I think that's something, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people don't think about. Absolutely. And one thing I just want to pull back um, to the whole house hacking thing and buying the right property. So one thing just for the listeners that they're going to make, make note of is if you're planning on house hacking, buying a multi-unit house and living in one of the units, let's say you're looking at a duplex, a two-unit home. You want to make sure that you're buying a property that's going to cash flow with two tenants in it. So, for example, if you live in one unit and the other unit rents for $700 a month and the mortgage is $2,000 and you're just willing to offset that cost yourself because you like the home. But if you put a tenant in your unit, they'd only pay $700 as well. In that scenario, at $700 plus $714, you're net losing $600 a month. So that's not a good house hacking house. You want a house that's going to cash flow when you decide to leave and advance to your next home. That's just something to be mindful of. Even though you're living in the house and you can offset a lot of the cost personally, you want that house to be able to run itself as a rental property in the future as well. Yeah, one of the things, like kind of a rule of thumb that I've seen is, you know, you, you, all, you never want to buy a place that's more that that the rental the the expected rental price is more than one percent of the purchase price is is that one percent rule something you're aware of is that true is that a good guideline for people yeah so the one percent rule like like grant just mentioned for listeners it's really straightforward it's you want your monthly rent to be 
um, 1% or greater than the purchase price of the home, right? So if your house rents for $2,000 a month and the purchase price is 200,000, then you're, you've hit that 1% rule. Um, yeah, that's a great rule to follow and you'll definitely have a profitable, a profitable investment. Should you go that route? Um, that's not going to work in every market. So you're going to be in, if you're in a more, uh, a bigger metropolitan city, something like that, uh, especially up here in Canada, you're not going to find that in every market. So those little quick ratios, they're good, but you might have to do a deeper dive on the numbers, but certainly, yeah, just a quick analysis of a listing you see that one percent rule is a good tool to have now now before we get into kind of thinking about scaling uh you know your house hacking you know one question is you know how how can someone get started in this i mean one of the things it's it's pretty easy to see that you know it doesn't make sense to today to buy a studio or a one bedroom i mean they just don't appreciate much you obviously can't house hack unless you're you know maybe sleeping on the couch and renting out your room but can you talk a little bit about how someone can get over that hurdle of instead of buying a studio or a one bedroom you know buy a two or a three bedroom or even take that next step and buy a multi-unit property can you talk about how to kind of get over that fear and, and, and start house hacking? Yeah, I think, you know, um, there's a couple things, right? You're going to need a job or a, some kind of steady stream of income where you can qualify for a mortgage. So that there's going to be two, pro, there's going to be two processes. Can I qualify for a mortgage and can I save up a down payment? Okay. So you're going to want to make sure that you are working. You have a stable source of income, whether it's through, um, you know, your own business or that's through a job. A job is typically a bit easier for a young person to establish a steady stream right away. And you're going to want to save as much money as you can. How do you do that? You live as cheaply as possible, right? So whether that's staying in mom and dad's basement um, a few more years, if they allow you to, that's the route I chose to do. Um, whereas other people, maybe it's renting an apartment with a roommate as opposed to by yourself. And maybe you're renting in an area that, um, not but then, so those are kind of things you want to do, right? So you just want to make sure that you're saving up money for a down payment and you're getting a job. But in addition to that, it's really just about your circle. So you want to surround yourself with the type of friends, the type of uh, professionals who are doing this kind of thing. So buying a house isn't such a big leap. So it feels normal to you, right? Because if you're you're hanging out with your four best friends who all do nothing with their life and who all have no intention of buying and are renting and partying every weekend, well, that stuff's fun, but... Are you really going to get close to your goal? Probably not. No, that's a that's a really great point. Um, so now let's say you know you've overcome the hurdle. You know you you decide you can be a landlord. You buy that two or three bedroom. You know and you're making money on it. And then you you know you, you realize that if you leave the apartment and rent out your room, you'd be cash flow positive. And and you've really got the bug. You know now you've got a property that's making money. Um, it's going to appreciate over time. And you want to you want to scale this thing. You know you want to start investing in properties more rapidly. Uh, you know, what, what's kind of that next step? And this is a two-parter question. Um, you know, how can you use house hacking in this way to really reach financial independence? And I think that's the coolest thing that I'm seeing is, you know, obviously, you know, you're still in your 20s. You're on this incredible path with all of your properties. I've got some other friends who are in their late 20s who have, you know, five properties and they're on a path where now, you know, those properties are, are cash flow positive and they're appreciating in value and their cash flow is almost to the point where it covers their monthly living expenses you know, 
they're essentially financially independent before they're 30 just using real estate. So can you talk a little bit about how someone can take that next step specifically to use house hacking and real estate to reach financial independence at a young, young age? Yeah, I think, um, I think you brought up a good point, you know, about financial independence. I think there's different stages of financial independence. I think real estate can help you get to a lot of different areas, right? So whether it's funding your lifestyle day to day or whether it's just allowing you to take some bigger risks, whether, you know, you want to go pursue that master's degree that costs $100,000. Well, now that you have equity built up in houses and you know how to leverage that equity in order to pay down debt, um, maybe that's something you'd actually look at doing, whereas in the past you haven't, right? Maybe it's buying a vacation property for your family, a cottage, something like that, because you're leveraging your portfolio here, right? So whether it's financial independence of uh, this being your full-time business or just allowing you to take some risks or make some moves you otherwise wouldn't make, I think there's a lot of benefits um, to real estate. Now, how do you actually go ahead and do that? That's a different thing altogether. So you want to go as far as you can alone. But if you heard like, dude, there's a big quote, everyone said that heard this before, you know, if you want to go um, fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So, you know, you're going to need to build teams to go far in this type of business, but you do want to go fast by yourself at first. So house hacking, that's how you go fast. That's how you get into your first property. Um, and then what you want to do is if your property is making adequate cash flows and it has appreciated, you want to refinance the property, meaning, pull some of this equity that you now made of the appreciation. You want to take that equity, leverage it and buy another property with it. And that's kind of the snowball you want to run. But what you're going to run into is there's limits in terms of how many properties banks will, will uh, finance you for. Sometimes there's a limit in the, the amount of money you have access to if you don't actually get that appreciation in those houses. Right. So that's where you want to start bringing in money partners to help grow your business. So that's, that's a big part of anyone's um, real estate investing strategy. Who's doing it at a professional level is you're always leveraging other people's money, whether it's the bank's money, whether it's investor money, um, you want to create a system where you can pay investors so that they want to continue to invest money with you um, while you're able to still make money, given those additional expenses, paying off those investors. So I wrote a, I'm writing an article right now for, for money on money. I'm sure it'll be uh, posted shortly, but it's about how do you actually bring in these money partners to scale your business? So it really goes in three phases. The first phase is attracting the partner. And to do that, you have to be a certain type of person. You have to have a certain type of experience. Um, the next thing is how do you actually close the deal once you have some interest from some potential money partners and the third part would then be how do you take your first money partner you've actually done a deal with and really scale that out um so maybe i can start with uh how you attract a partner or something like that what do you think that would be most uh, effective grant yeah that sounds good i mean it sounds it sounds like yeah attracting a partner is is that first step once you want to take take a step up yeah, exactly. So th this is the thing, right, is a lot of people nowadays, they like to do a lot of research online and they want to know the blueprint for everything. So not everything always has a blueprint, but the first thing you have to do really straightforward is you have to invest. You're not going to get a money partner who's going to give you money to go invest in real estate if you don't yourself invest in real estate. So investors, they're going to want to see two key things from you. They're going to want to see your expertise. So when they speak to you and you discuss your different investment styles or, or your plans of things you want to do, they want to know that you know what you're talking about. But two, they actually want to see your success stories. So show me the properties you bought. Show me how much money they make per month right now. Show me how much they've appreciated from the time you bought them until now. That's a lot more impactful. 
right? If you're somebody who's never done a real estate investment before, it shows one, you don't actually have the, the real hands-on experience. And two, you don't even have the ability to actually save up your own money to buy a property. So that like either of those is not a good look, right? But let's say you do have some experience and you are able to, to sell those um, success stories. What's the next thing you do? So the next thing you do is you want to make sure that you have a first-class team. So you're only be able to build a first-class team around you if you have experience investing in your own deals. So make sure you're working with contractors, realtors, plumbers, whoever it is, people who are augmenting your process as opposed to just performing a transaction. So real estate, it's an industry where it's filled with our friends and family. Everybody seems to know a real estate agent, a mortgage broker, but you want to make sure that you're working with someone who's not your friend, that they're the best in industry in your location that you live in. That's really important. The reason you want to work with these people is because you want your transactions to be smooth and predictable. You want, you're not aiming to have them boom in value. Yeah, that would be nice, but we can't predict appreciation, right? But we can predict costs and cash flow. So that's what you want to do. You want to work with the best people so everything's as predictable as possible. And the second thing you want to do is you want to work with the best people because you can actually refer them out. So this is a, a weird thing not everybody thinks about, but when it comes to establishing yourself as somebody, somebody you'd want to invest with, you also have to be somebody where people want to come to you for the answers. So if someone's coming to you because there's an issue at their house or they're considering investing in real estate and you have people that you can refer out to and you're becoming that go-to source for information, that's extremely important. That means you're becoming a resource and that's how you want to position yourself. Once you start helping enough people with real estate, your reputation is going to start to grow and more people will reach out to you. A lot of those people are potential money partners for you because there's a lot of people who like the idea of investing in real estate but those people don't actually have the time to execute it. So instead, they'd rather give money to somebody like you who's actively doing it, don't have to reinvent the wheel, and then they can take a cut of equity in the deal and you can take a cut of equity in the deal as well. So those are kind of some basics around bringing in money partners, but um, you know, we can delve a little bit deeper. Does that make some sense, Grant? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And then uh, w- one last qu- – no, it's su- super helpful. I think it's really clear. You obviously want to show success. You want to show that you're able to do this like anything anyone invests in. You want to give people, your investors, confidence that you know, you're the guy to partner with and that you're going to make them some money. And it sounds like you know, that, that, that's the right approach. Um, the more successful you are, obviously, the easier it is going to be to get investors because there's less risk on their part. And then I love the point that you made about um, you know working and trying to work with the best person in your market because you really want to uh, mitigate your risk insofar as you know you're not able to obviously control appreciation, but you are able to control things like cost and cash flow. And so definitely keep an eye on and control those variables that you can. You know, I, I really liked that. So kind of last question is, is, is how's it going for you, man? It sounds like, you know, you, you had two properties by the age of 24 uh, and now, you know, you're just crushing it. So how many properties do you have and what's the, uh, what's the next phase for you? Uh, so right now we've done, uh, done six deals. So sold off one, I hold five right now and, um, trying to do six transactions this year. So that's the goal for this year. Um, transactions, what I kind of define that as is I either flip a house, buy and hold it, um, or move a contract, which means you get a house under contract and then you move that contract without closing the actual deal to another investor, um, to make a small profit. So things are going really good on my end. Um, actually looking for another deal right now. But, you know, every year the strategy has changed. 
the the first year it was trying to buy something that was turnkey. Then markets changed where there weren't really any turnkey rentals that cash flow in the market. So we started buying properties where you had to put in some renovation, maybe build a secondary unit yourself. Um, and that's kind of how I was meeting with my money partners for the next couple of years. And now um, we're seeing a lot of changes in the market again, where there's really not much at all that can cash flow, even with some renovation in the market. So now the strategy is focused to going after off-market listings. So right now I'm doing a lot of work trying to find properties that aren't actually listed on the MLS so you can get them at better value. Um, and that's kind of a, the newest strategy. So right now I'm actually in the middle of negotiating an off-market right now. Hopefully we close that um, by tomorrow. That's kind of like the deadline there, but I'm um, hoping to complete six transactions this year. And um, more important than the actual transactions is just building the systems and processes so that we can continue to grow. Yo, Jacob, it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. This is Jacob Perez, uh, who is a mortgage agent in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and writes for Millennial Money. Dude, I've talked to so many house hackers over the past year and a half, and you are by far a master house hacker. It's a real pleasure to chat with you, Jacob. And uh, thanks for writing for Millennial Money. I, you know, The readers have responded really well and, and, and love the pieces and look forward to seeing more from you. So th- thanks for being on the podcast, man. Awesome, Grant. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Millennial Money Minutes. If you liked this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe. If you want us to cover a specific topic, use hashtag Millennial Money on Twitter or visit MillennialMoneyMinutes.com.